Assalamualaikum and welcome everybody to the Your Truth is Calling podcast. I have a very special guest joining us today all the way from the US. I think, Elizabeth, you might be our first US guest because I've had my Canadian cousin on the show, but I haven't had anyone from the US. So (laughs) I'm like, yeah, first one in. So I'm going to introduce um, Elizabeth formally and then I'll tell you a little bit about how we connected Um, So Elizabeth Barber has spent 23 plus years helping people integrate mind, body and spirit for wholeness as an intuitive life and business coach, shamanic practitioner, speaker and author. She is a creative force when it comes to releasing pain, healing wounds, transforming old stories into new beginnings and celebrating the beauty and joy of life's milestones. She is the author of two books, Smart Self-Care for Busy Women. Find the Me Time You Crave and the newly released Sacred Celebrations, designing rituals to navigate life's milestone transitions. Elizabeth, (laughs) there you go, Elizabeth, just showing us the book. Now, I know if you're on the podcast, you can't see her do that, but we'll put put plenty of links in there for you to follow along with us. (laughs) I've been carrying the book around my house. (laughs) I'm like, I'm so happy. (laughs) The baby's finally here. The baby's out. Elizabeth firmly believes that the world's health and well-being is dependent upon emotional and spiritual practices that keep each one of us grounded and centered, especially during times of change. And so you can learn more about her at um, her her website, elizabethbarber.com. And we'll definitely share all the show in the show notes, um, links to her books and all of that good stuff. So welcome, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. This is so fun that, you know, it's evening here and you're just getting started on your day tomorrow. So I <laughs> I so that. I'll just tell listeners how I met you. So we were in um, a group um, where um, Elizabeth um, had done some coaching with this coach, Beth Davis. She's amazing. And Beth had just posted this little link of this book that had birthed into the world she was so proud of it and she was talking about how this woman Elizabeth is such an embodiment of someone who is living her design like who she's designed to be and for some reason I don't know whether it was the title or the photo or just the energy of the words I was really curious so I clicked in and I bought it straight away on Kindle and even though I have one of those Kindle readers I was reading it on my phone and I re- recognized that, like I couldn't stop reading I just kept going and going and especially when I kind of landed on um, certain topics like divorce and um, you know certain life transitions it, it really struck home for me because I happen to coach women who tend to have you know all of this stuff around intimacy and trying to have closure and I found that your book was just such a healing bomb for that because I'd been telling my clients I think we need some sort of ritual to close this energy off. And here you were like a whole 11 pages of teaching and modeling to someone, not prescribing, but giving them plenty of ideas of how to close something off, even if it whether how didn't matter how the thing ended. And I just found it so refreshing. And I was like, everybody needs this book. And I kept like sending it to people that I thought, you know, this would be really handy for them. But I also love just, you know, it's just stuff that you'd shared on Facebook after I got your book. I was like, I added you as a friend on Facebook. And then the way you shared there too, because you've just had Thanksgiving in the US. I know we don't celebrate that so much here in Australia, but um, 
you just have so much to share, Elizabeth. Like, I love you as a human, and I just can't <laughs> wait to, to dive in. So maybe, I don't know, where shall we start? Like, possibly, um, if you can maybe go into that time where, like, the birth of this book, like, how it even mm. occurred to you to write about something like this and bring that rituality and that sacredness of life's transitions into book form like this so we everybody can kind of have their window in to find their own way with this topic okay Go back well to thank the you for um, us so and I just I have to say I just love your enthusiasm and and you know it came through uh, in the Facebook group with Bath and then when you and I started you know sending voice messages and emailing each other and I was like oh my gosh if we lived near each other we would totally be friends so <laughs> Likewise. <laughs> so I so I love this and um and I so appreciate that you got so clearly and so quickly that ritual helps us navigate change. Um and you know, life is just a series of changes, right? And so we go through big changes, you know, getting married, having children, maybe getting divorced, losing a loved one, um, but also the little changes too. You know, your your kid goes from second grade to third grade, or um, you know, they graduate and go to university, or you know, you change careers. You know, so there are other smaller changes too. And um, I think I've just always really been mindful about marking and honoring these times of transition and doing it really intentionally because it feels like, well, gosh, if you if you want to start something new, you've got to wrap it up cleanly and clearly mm. first and so um probably my first experience of doing a ritual was actually when i went through a divorce 20 plus years ago and um i met a woman who said oh well, you're gonna have a divorce ritual aren't you and i was like what's that what's <laughs> like, you know, that I, oh so you were yeah. so green <laughs> I, yeah i was I, wow. I'd never heard of anyone who had done a divorce ritual, but I also didn't know anyone who was divorced either. Right. You know, I was in my young thirties. And um, so it was uh, very cathartic and incredibly healing to design my own divorce ritual. And I thought, wow, I know this is really good stuff. And then I just sort of realized like, oh, wait, this has been part of my life, but I haven't called it ritual per se. Oh, right. And then over the last 20 years, um, there's been a lot of rituals, which of course I write about in the book. Um, but to your question, uh, I want to make sure I, I actually answer your question. So how did this book come about? So I was actually writing uh, the a different book, the Smart Self-Care book. And I started writing it probably, I don't know, 2012, 2013, something like that. And, um, but I just wasn't getting anywhere with it. I wasn't getting a lot of traction with it. And my mother died, my adoptive mother died in 2016. Mm -hmm. And I did a series of white rose releases to work with her soul and her spirit to help her transition from her earthly body to her, you know, heavenly form. Mm -hmm. And so I, so I did, so those were very private, very personal rituals that I did with her. And then when she passed away, I was planning on doing a more traditional funeral um, in Florida. So I was living in Texas at the time. And um, a friend called me and said, Elizabeth, you have to do something here. 
And I said, what do you mean? This, you know, these people don't even really know my mom because she had only lived there for a few years because of her cancer treatment. And she said, no, no, they, they want to show up for you. So I ended up designing wow. what I call, what I end up calling, and it's how, what I opened the book with, is the White Rose Release Ceremony. The and, White Rose um, Release Ceremony. Beautiful gathering. About 30 women came to my home and we give everybody white roses. And we walked down to the creek by my house and we were at the bridge and you know I said words about my mom and our her life and and then we all tossed our roses into the water and it was this whole beautiful beautiful ceremony and um it was just a couple weeks after that that I realized I need to write a book about rituals because I had so many women coming to me after that event saying Elizabeth that was the most moving the most meaningful you know, funeral or memorial service that I've ever attended because it wasn't just about my mom and it yes. wasn't just about me. It was about all of us. So I, you know, we made it a community experience. Yeah. And I think that's what's special. Like what I heard in that was when they were asking you, of course, like, you're going to like run something here, aren't you? Like in Florida. And it was like, it's like they wanted you to be part of it. It was specifically, it's like, yes, your mom had passed and we needed to mark that but then you were included and then the women who attended. So it was that intimacy that you created, I think in that ceremony that sometimes I feel like when I, at least I look at ritual or how things are done. And sometimes I don't feel like I'm someone who likes celebrating much. It's probably because it hasn't been modeled to me of like, that's something I'd like to do because I find it meaningless and so what you brought in was it was full of meaning and everybody felt like they were part of it. And everyone was probably talking about their mothers uh, in general, or women in general. And you said it was like a community event. And that's what the community is for, right? It helps you make those transitions to like have that sense of completion. And it's like you brought in all of these ingredients in such a beautiful way. It is. And thank you for saying that. And, you know, that's such a good point because I've actually had some conversations with people, you know, because I interviewed dozens of people for the book and I had a lot of people say, oh, you know, I don't like that word ritual. And that feels very, you know, stale and very traditional and sort of, as you said, um, it, it just, it doesn't resonate as much, but I think the intimacy mm. is what makes it different is when we can get people to share their stories too, and, and sort of to pull them into it. Yeah. And so like when we left um, my home for that white rose ceremony, I'd given everyone a white rose. And I said, I'd like you to walk down to the bridge, but I want you to partner up with somebody that you don't know. Wow. And I want you to talk to this other woman because it was all women at this. And my dog, <laughs> my dog, Daisy came. <laughs> um, but it, I said, I want you to partner up with a woman that you haven't met. And I'd like for you to share stories about your own mother or grandmother or auntie or sister, you know, whoever it was that raised you. And, um, and so in that way, I made it about, you know, let's talk about the women and the mothering that we mm -hmm. receive in our lives. But let's also get to know one another as we're engaging in this experience. Yeah. And that's pretty special because I've seen like, you know, big birthday parties and stuff like that, where you tend to only mix with the like you eyeball, look at the room, find someone you know, and start talking. And it's the same old, same old. Like you never find anything new about the person. You don't learn about yourself. Like you don't go away from the event going, I learned something about me, about the other, about the collective. Whereas I felt like that maybe that's part of your genius is like 
being able to make these things happen through events. And it's mm-hmm. like, everybody gets a transformation on leaving and they're not the same person that they were when they, you know, came into the experience and you got to celebrate and keep something, but they got something out of it too, as a guest and someone who was and invited thank you for saying that that's exactly it. it. It's, it's a transformative experience for everybody who participates, not just the person who it's about. So whether it's a wedding or a baby blessing or a divorce ritual or a funeral, it doesn't matter. It's about, making sure that everyone leaves with something. Yeah. And, and I feel like, well, my background being like raised Muslim in Sri Lanka, like I feel like everything is very staged and it already has its borders. It's like, this is how you do it. This is how we do funerals. This is how we do either these celebrations and nobody goes outside of those boundaries. Um, to kind of yeah. either question it and go, why are we doing this again? Is this a like an Indian custom that had come down to this particular family and now we've just adopted it? I remember mm-hmm. we had, there was like this Mehendi ceremony um, that I was so uncomfortable because all these women started putting these gold necklaces on me, which was what they weren't mine. <laughs> this, this jewelry wasn't even mine. And I felt like it felt so fake to me. And I felt I was getting heavier and heavier because they kept putting all this gold on me. I'm like, why are we even doing this? I don't understand. Like it just, it was so meaningless to me. And it was at a hard time for me as well. I think because um, after my parents got divorced, like that was the first time my mom and I came back to Sri Lanka um, you know, cause we'd like come to Australia then and it was just so confused, like the emotions of the day. And I felt like my husband had such a beautiful, different experience at his yeah. ceremony because it was a lot lighter and more festive. And uh-huh. so it was funny that like, there was no intentionality. Nobody talked about how, how do I want to do this here? It was just like, this is how it's done in the family. So it just, it, it they go with the default program. And that's where I find that your book's special because it's giving everybody like a framework of ingredients and everybody can cook different meals depending on what flavors they like. Uh, Do they like cardamom or or cinnamon or whatever? And everybody can cook it in however way they want it. And it's just a framework and some suggestions and inspiration and plenty of stories um, so that you could you know pick and choose from the different characters and you know all the interviews you've done in your book to go I liked how she did it here but I also like what this woman did over there and we can mix and match <laughs> it's like yes, yes. and that's exactly why I interviewed so many people yeah. because everybody's take on things was was different um yeah. you know w- weddings for example um you know had a lot of different people share wedding stories um and you know, non-traditional weddings and more traditional weddings and people who were getting married who maybe already had children from a previous relationship. Yes. Um, and so it was really fun to see the different ways that people blend families because of course it's, it's not just about the two people. Yes, it's, it's a family. The families. Yes. Yeah, the families and the friends and the community. So. Yeah, I love that. And when when you went through the book writing process to get the stories, how did you go about choosing whom to interview? Like, did you reach out to your network and go, I'm writing, you know, this chapter right now. And I want to know who, you know, someone who has gone through this and would people just give you 
people they knew or how did you collect the stories for the book? Yes, that's actually exactly how I did it. So I, you know, I started with sort of my circle, um, you know, maybe some rituals I had participated in myself, you know, like my friend Angie had a baby blessing when she was pregnant with her first child. And I remembered attending that many years prior. So I called her and I said, Hey, can I interview you? And she was like, what? You, you want me in your book? I was like, yeah, I do. It's great. Um, and then um, I did it on Facebook and LinkedIn. You know, I just put it out there and I said, Hey, you know, I'm writing this part of uh, the book and this is the topic and what can you share with me? And then sometimes people would just share their stories on Facebook and then other times they would, um, you know, they would maybe share a little bit and I would say, Oh my gosh, I want to know more. And then, then you follow up actually get on the phone. Yeah. We'd get on the phone and, and have yeah. a deep conversation. Like one of my favorite ones. Um, I don't know if you read this part in the book, but um, a woman named Nicole, who I interviewed for the birthday chapter, when she was a little girl, her dad started this tradition of dancing with her. I think she was born at like one o'clock in the morning. I don't know. It was like really, maybe it was a lot. I haven't done that chapter yet. So this okay, is. Okay, we haven't gotten there yet. Okay. So, okay. Well, uh, spoiler I'll go and reread it. But tell us. <laughs> but, but she was telling this really sweet story that her dad, when she was a little girl, would let her stay up until I can't remember the time, you know, it was 11 p.m. or midnight or something like that. And then they would have a little dance. Wow. They would have a father daughter dance. So then um, he ended up passing away. And so she now continues the tradition with her own children. Oh. Is, you know, at, at the time of their birth, birth. on their birthday, <laughs> they have a little, you know, mother child dance. Isn't that just so beautiful? I know. It's just special to that kid as well to go, this was, yeah, like I was yeah. special like yeah and and just such a simple little thing you know and she and I remember her telling me too that even when you know she was grown and no longer lived at home you know she and her dad might maybe get on the phone or they would you know FaceTime together and, and still do the little dance together so oh, wow. really yeah. yeah and I think what really struck me about you like what what I've just seen you share on Facebook recently has been about like the Thanksgiving get together that you had with um, your siblings that you like had, obviously it was, you were adopted as yes. a baby. And then yeah. you obviously had to kind of like, yeah, get to know these other siblings. And could you just maybe share about that experience? Cause I really feel like you do this whole human relationships thing really beautifully of at least like me getting to witness that there's so much beauty in just me getting to just even read the post or the fact that you shared us like a really beautiful letter that was that your birth mother had written to your adopted mother or the other way around yeah the other way yeah 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 yeah. and I just thought it was so special how like even just seeing the relationship between the two of them and how beautifully she wrote that letter and I was like oh my God, like these are like really special humans. And I haven't <laughs> had a window into these relationships before, but I do remember that my mom, um, she worked for a Norwegian um, not-for-profit in Sri Lanka and her, an ex-boss of hers, son, stayed with us for three months um, and they were doctors and they adopted a baby from Sri Lanka. So I got to see an adoption happen. I've been to the wow. nunnery, like the convents where 
and they picked the baby out and I'm like she was telling me the story that mom was telling me and I was 11 years old so I remember very much that whole experience and they would send us letters all the time and now we've lost touch but so I've witnessed the adoption process and I'm like oh my god and now we're having this conversation could you maybe talk about um some of the things you've learned as you've navigated because obviously there's celebrations and rituals when the families are not like and you know like a very simple structure of a family of origin you've got now a little bit more complexity because we're dealing with you know across like different mums different yeah can you maybe talk about how you navigated ritual when the family is not just a simple setup and you've had to kind of bring in all of these aspects in when you think about how to celebrate something, for example. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, so just just to give your your listeners a bit of backstory. So yeah. yeah, so I was adopted at birth, uh, was raised by my mom and dad as an only child. And then when I was 29 years old, I reunited with my biological mom and her three children, and then my biological dad and his eight children. Wow. So I'm actually the oldest of 12. (laughs) And I have had relationships with every single member of the family for 24 years now. That's I found them I found them in 1999. Um, And so what you were just referencing this most recent Thanksgiving. So um, my uh, adoptive mother died in 2016. That's the mother we were talking about earlier. And then my biological mother actually just passed away this past April, um, very shockingly and suddenly. We we were not expecting um, her death. She and her husband actually died uh, within two weeks of each other. Wow! So it was very, very um, shocking and tragic. Um, so the um, my three siblings from my biological mom, uh, we have all gotten so much closer since she passed away and since they passed away. And so we've been spending a lot of time together and I've made four trips to Florida this year. I live in North Carolina. For wow. those of your listeners who know American geography, you guys know our geography better than we know you. That's <laughs> for sure. <laughs> I could maybe put um, Sydney and Melbourne on the map and that's about <laughs> it. <laughs> maybe Brisbane. <laughs> um, so although I want to come to Australia someday and when I, when I travel, that will, you know, that will give me the lay of the land. Yeah. But um, so at any rate, um, so when I was there this Thanksgiving, I found my sister had found a letter that my adoptive mother had written to my biological mother upon my very first meeting. And she said, Elizabeth, I would like you to take this to Kathy and give it to her. And it was this beautiful love letter just saying, you know, how much she loved, um, you know, being my mom and how she had such great respect and honor for Kathy and for her difficult, difficult decision to place me for adoption. And, um, you know, she just wished us luck and joy in our reunion. And uh, it was just so- This was when you were 29. She said, I want you to take this letter. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, and I had never seen the letter because my mom wrote it and sealed it yes. and I delivered it to Kathy, but I had, I had never read it. Yeah. Uh, so it was quite moving. Um, and, you know, my mom really modeled that. She modeled that grace mm. of saying, you know, 
there's enough love for everybody. Like just because you find your biological family doesn't mean that you love me any less. And so that's how we're raising our daughter. I have, I have an adopted daughter as well. And um, we're in reunion with her biological dad, not quite yet, but um, yeah. And it's, uh, you know, the more people to love your children, like why not? I know know? it's so exquisite, right? Because we tend to be in these little silos and you've got this experience of like, yeah, you were adopted and then you also adopted um, your daughter. Like it's just stunning to me, just how you've navigated that so beautifully because I don't think we get that modeling very much, or maybe if they do it because they're not in the public sphere, we don't get a window in to witness it. Mm. And because you grace graciously sort of shared that part of the story on Facebook, anyone sort of connected to you who's not in your inner circle still got to witness it and be influenced by it and to like go, wow, this is the human experience, you know? And, and I love that a whole thing of like sharing the love because I feel like you can get quite um, possessive with your love and like jealousy coming in or all of these uncomfortable emotions or rage or whatever um, comes up as, you know, someone's navigating that. But I just like, even just reading that letter um, online, it was just so healing even just to read it and how, um, you were described as this little baby with like either the spiky hair or something, but it was like your mom was looking at who you were as an energetic being and your soul Mm. rather than, you know, the human form. And I feel like it just elevated everybody in that space. And I think your, your birth mom, your biological mom would have been like thinking like, wow, this Elizabeth, she's so blessed. (laughs) <laughs> well, yes. And, and I have to tell you, um, I have an ancestral altar now. Um, it, you can't see it, but I'm looking yeah. at it. Um, it's the top of my bookcase and I have pictures of my mom and my dad and wow. Kathy, which is my birth mom and Richard, her husband and my grandparents, both biological and adoptive. So oh, I have all wow. these images up there and, and, and I like to think of them, um, you know, in, in heaven and the other yeah. world and they're hanging out going, all right, look, you know, look at what she's doing. <laughs> Okay. from above <laughs> it's like on a height yeah. as well I, I wow. well, well so I'll, I'll tell you a quick story about that talk about a ritual so when mm-hmm. I first opened my box of books mm-hmm. when the sacred celebrations books arrived a few weeks ago I was home alone on Saturday and I was really sad at first that I was alone because I thought oh I, I want to share this with my family and then I thought, well, I can't wait. I have to open this box because, you know, like I have to put my, I have to put my hands on this book. You know, like it's so, so what I did was after I opened the box and I did call my best friend, she was the first one that I called, <laughs> um, my best friend in high school. And um, after that, I brought the book up to my ancestral altar uh-huh. and I offered it to my parents and to uh-huh. my grandparents. Like, said thank you thank you. you know thank you for for witnessing me and for creating me and for stewarding me through all of this and helping me to get to this place where I can share this message and our stories with people yeah oh wow yeah, that was like my little personal ritual yeah how do you see um the role of elders in terms of ritual because I feel like um I don't know for me growing up I didn't have too much of um, a close relationship with my elders because my maternal grandmother lived in Canada. 
So there was this whole side of my mom's family that who migrated to Canada. My mom was the only remaining relative like from her siblings in Sri Lanka. So if people would visit, they would come to our family home and stay with us. So I got that connection with my cousins and everything that way through my mom's side. And then my grandparents on my dad's side, um, my grandfather um, was there when I was born, my paternal grandfather. And we have this ritual of when a Muslim baby is born, an elder or pious elder will be chosen to recite the call to prayer in the baby's ear to remind them you can connect back with God. You can connect back with God. So they recite the azan in the year and then they chew on a date or some honey and put it on our tongue. So that's a ritual when the baby's born. And then we have something called an akika, which is like an animal sacrifice. Um, the And then th- there's a big cook up and then you invite everybody to say, oh, there's, there's a baby now in the family and everyone's fed. So that's like an Islamic ritual that's, you know, been passed down. But in other than that, like other than I remember, like maybe my paternal grandma, like feeding me and my cousins um, in like the, the big, you know, family home um, in Colombo. Um, and everybody in Sri Lanka, like we eat with our hands, like our fingers. So uh-huh. make little bowls of rice and then she'd feed everybody and we'll do like a round about the house and come for the next mouth. <laughs> because we, were, we used to hate to just like sit there and eat. Um, but other than that connection, also there was like a language thing um, where they would speak in Tamil and like with my mom's family, like we'd speak in English. So I couldn't just like have a conversation. You know, it was just very much facial expressions and a little smattering of some sentences. So I'm just wondering if you, if someone hasn't had that much of a relationship with elders or mm-hmm. grandparents, how do you bring that in to your life? Maybe if you were in your tw- like twenties or or thirties, like I'm assuming most of our listeners are sort of that age group and maybe early forties. How would you bring that in? Can you like adopt grandparents <laughs> that you see in your community, or how would you do that to just get that? Sure. Yeah, sure. yeah. No, I I think you can definitely if you don't have that within your own family, you can seek it in your community. I mean, I mm. I think about all of the women when I first uh, moved. So I live in Asheville, North Carolina now, which mm-hmm. is in the mountains of North Carolina. But I originally lived here 20 years ago, mm-hmm. and I was in my 30s at the time. And I had a, a core group of women, professional women friends. We had a women's group. Uh, like a networking business group, uh, but they were all a good 15 to 20 years older than me. Wow. And so I said, wow, you know, you're letting me hang out with you. And they were like, well, yeah, you're great. You have things to offer. And, <laughs> you know, so all doing business and entrepreneurship together, but I learned so much from those women. Yeah. Um, and even though I did, I wouldn't say I necessarily claim them as my elders. Um, I certainly saw that they had much more life experience than I did. So I tried to do a lot of listening. Yeah. Um, learning from them. So yeah, I think we can definitely do that. I think actually, as you say that, I'm just thinking, I, I actually do have one person. She was a client. And again, I've always been the younger one and I've attracted older women into my sphere. So without even, yeah, it didn't even occur to me that I, it did happen, but not by me intentionally seeking it. It's like life gifting me these women. Um, yeah. So maybe my mother didn't play that role. But then I have like my friend Kathleen, we speak every three weeks on the phone at 8am on a Sunday morning. That's our ritual every three weeks. 
Right. It's like, can we be soul friends? And she's, yeah, she's like old enough to be my mom. And she teaches me, like, if I'm having something that's going on with one of my sons and I can't quite figure it out or solve it, I just bring it to the call and then she'll just listen. And if I'm ready for it, she'll say, do you you want me to show you or tell you (laughs) what you could do? Like, it's always with permission. So it's always really respectful. It's not like your mom or someone like telling you, you should do this or this is the way you should raise your kid or something. So I'm always able to take it much more because it's, it's very um, respectful in the way it's been offered. Um, I like love that. Stuff, but, well, mm. and I really think to your point, um, intergenerational relationships mm. are so important. And I think that storytelling is yes. so important. You know, and so when we share our stories with one another, right? Like that's how we connect. That's how, that's why Facebook has exploded, right? Because mm. people giving little windows into their lives. Yes. And then of course, all the other social media too. But it's like, we find these connection points with people. And when we share our stories, that's how we expand our hearts and open our minds. Yes. Um, and I think doing that intergenerationally, whether it's with elders or even with youngers, you know, now that I'm in my fifties, yes. I'm finding that I'm attracting a lot of young women in their thirties and forties who yes. are just getting started on their entrepreneurial journey, or maybe they're in parenting. Now I am an older parent. Um, you know, I didn't become a parent till my forties, but, um, yeah. you know, but just talking with people of different generations for me is good. You know, I, I learn just as much from the younger women as I do from the elder women. Yeah. I love that. What are some of, um, so this year, obviously you had, um, you know, in April when your your biological, like the, both your parents, um, so so they passed and that happened in April. And then we, we recently had Thanksgiving. Was there anything that stood out to you this year? Like as the book was coming out and if you could look back on the rituals that really stood out, is there one or two that really stand out? And could you tell us a little bit about like what was special about them? You mean rituals from the book in particular? Um, no, maybe just in in real life that maybe they okay. didn't have a chance to get into the book because it was obviously in creation mode this year. <laughs> well, a- actually, yes. Um, when Kathy and Richard passed away, so that's my biological mom and her husband, um, we did a dual funeral for them because they died within two weeks of each other. Mm-hmm. And that was a really powerful ritual because they were so beloved in their community. Uh, mm-hmm. They lived down in Florida and he was a softball player and, uh, you know, all over the state and it was in the championship hall of fame or whatever wow. for softball down there. So he was kind of a big deal in the softball community, <laughs> um, you know, in his retired years, you know, they were in their seventies when they passed away. Um, but they were just so beloved as a couple, as being um, members of the community and looking out for other people and being generous and giving. And so, you know, it's hard enough when one person dies. And then mm. when two people die, it's like, you know, twice as much um, shock and grief and disbelief and everything, but also it's twice as much love. Mm. Um, so my siblings and I had this experience of just being completely surrounded by their community of friends and neighbors and colleagues and people who knew them, you know, because we never know our parents the way other people know them. Yes. You know, we, they have, we have different such a, windows yes, into their lives. Such, yes. Such a different relationship. And so then you, you know, we would hear these stories 
about Kathy and about Richard. And I was like, wow, we never knew that. And we, 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 this is so exciting to, to learn this about them. And so it was just this beautiful celebration of their lives. And as tragic as it was that they died together, it was also perfect because they were so connected. Mm -hmm. It was like everyone was sitting there at this memorial service going, yeah, like, of course they would go together because, uh -huh. you know, it's just better that they're together. I mean, not better. I mean, it sounds sad, but it is like they're together. They're meant to be together. Yeah. So, And, and yeah. Elizabeth, like, how did you even navigate that piece around? Like, because you said, was it your biological dad who had the eight children? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And then you had three on Kathy's side. How did Correct. you navigate connecting with your, would you call them step siblings or half siblings? I think if half they're siblings. half siblings. Yeah. How, how did you navigate connecting? Cause so would you have been like in your thirties as you navigated that journey? On both? I was 29. Yeah. Um, and I was 29 when I met Kathy for the first time so how we'd navigate how we did it was the first day I met her in person it was just the two of us we met at a hotel and we had lunch and we spent about four hours together wow. and then we we both went back home so we could have some time to breathe and digest <laughs> and then the next day I drove to her home and I met her husband at the time uh and then her three children and right. I spent, again, about four hours with them and then left. So that was the first visit. Mm -hmm. And then I met my biological dad uh, because actually he still lives in the hometown where Kathy grew up. They right. grew up on neighboring farms together. Wow. And uh, he lives up there with his wife and, and the eight kids. Well, not anymore. The kids are all grown now. But at the time, all of the eight children were at home. Wow. And so I did a similar thing when I met them a few months later. My husband and I went and met with um, Roger and his wife. And then the next day we went and then met all their children at once. Wow. So it was and your so your yeah. husband accompanied you, like providing that sort of emotional support, even like he, as he you were meeting them. Yeah, he did. And actually it was my first husband who kind of gets the credit for me mm -hmm. even searching. Because I grew up, you know, knowing that I was adopted and he and I went to high school together and I never really had much interest in looking for my biological family. And he kept saying, don't, aren't you curious? Like, don't you want to look? And I was like, yeah, you know, whatever. And then we ended, what ended up happening was my dad, my adoptive dad died when I was 24 and um, he and I got married when I was just 25. Yeah. And about six months later, I woke up and said, I have to look for my my birth mom and he was like it's about time <laughs> well it was just so, yeah. knowing that the time was yeah. right for you yeah yeah so he was real supportive of that which was great so. yeah I just find that whole journey really fascinating I did read the part about how you how you met your first husband I remember reading that in the chapter about where you sat in the classroom and everything so that, that's yes passing notes in, in school yeah <laughs> yeah I just find that fascinating because we don't have enough, um, I guess, yeah, forums for like that storytelling to happen until you're like consciously going to look for these yes. things. So just having you, I, has anyone come to you as a resource, someone who's been looking for their biological parents or anything? Do they see you as oh, someone they can yes. turn to like with coaching clients or anything like that? 
Yes, often. Uh, yes, over the last 20 plus years. Well, and even more than even before I became a coach, um, I've mm-hmm. always been a resource for uh, friends and family and friends of friends when yeah. they're going through reunion. Um, I first started as an adult adoptee, being able to give that perspective. But now that I'm an adoptive mother as well, um, yeah. I can kind of talk about both ends of the spectrum. And I even remember a friend coming to me many years ago telling me that she was um, a biological mom, that she had placed a baby for adoption and that the child had now grown up and had found her. And I connected her with my birth mom. And so my birth mom was able to talk to her about reunion and what it was like and what to expect and all of that. So, um, yeah. That's so I, I've, I've, terrain. I feel like you've, you've navigated so much of that. There's such a richness to your history and what you bring. I feel like your clients and whoever's drawn to your world has so much to benefit from. Cause you've just, it's like you've traversed so many lifetimes just in like, you imagine like yes. eight siblings from here, three siblings from there. It's like, a, that's a yes. lot of, people that you're having all of these connections with and all at once like I I know that if I put myself in those shoes I go I'm really overwhelmed like I don't know how to take it all in yet I can't digest it and I'm glad that you said we had the four hours and then we'd go off into our separate spaces just to be well and interesting you mentioned that and actually it brings me back to the book a little bit and rituals so one of the things you know so I have 11 half siblings Mm. and they live all over the place and one of the things that helped me to build relationships with them was the rituals in our lives it was when they would go get graduate from high school or graduate from college or get married or have a baby now certainly I haven't been able to attend every Mm. single one of those (laughs) because there's so many of them yeah Um, but it was those rituals where we try and gather our family to witness us when we're having a big life transition, you know, having a baby, getting married, graduating from, you know, your master's degree or undergrad or whatever. And so as much as I could and have been able to over the 24 years, I've tried to attend those rituals. And so that's helped to build the relationship, you know, because we might go for a year or two without seeing each other, but it's like, oh, all right, somebody's graduating or, oh, another one's getting married. Oh, another one's having a baby. I mean, I think. Yeah. So because you had so many, there's always something to make you connect and reconnect. Yeah. Yeah. Because of this sheer volume. (laughs) But you know, it's those rituals though, that, that are, you know, sort of more traditional and acknowledged in our society that are what bring people in mm-hmm. you know haven't have, have you ever attended a funeral where people say you know we, you get together with family and go, oh gosh you know the only time we ever see family is for funerals and weddings weddings exactly oh yeah. my gosh yeah the big life transitions and then you yeah, also came up um what I found really interesting I kind of remember was this in your book or where did I read it possibly no, must be in another interview where you were talking about even before you went for surgery, when you had a hysterectomy, yeah. even yeah. that you like blessed um, that whole, you know, life transition, like almost going, okay. And then being open even to the surgery. And then you said, you know, that surgery, like it was successful because it's mm-hmm. like you had almost digested the event, you brought intention into that like yeah going over this threshold now of um this part of me 
of like grieving it and thanking that part of your body for all of the service and everything it did for you. And so I found that really beautiful as well. It's like, oh, didn't even think about surgery and yeah, like our organs or whatever, you know, you're being cut open. It's another time of transition and healing because that doesn't happen always. Um, And then all the products that came out, like um, you even started, was it in hospital that you started to do these beads? I can't remember. Where did I see that story? Were you like developing like a jewelry line or something? Yes, I have a jewelry line as well. And that came as a result of me being unable to work after the hysterectomy. And so I just got creative with my hands and thought, wow, you know, this is really great. I need to have a whole jewelry line. And then now what I'm doing is with the book, the the vision is that I'll be, you know, if, if you know someone who's going through a big life transition, you buy them the book. And say, okay, you know, I'm buying, I'm giving you this book and I want to make sure you read chapter 12 or mm-hmm. chapter 13 or whatever it is that applies to your situation. But I'm also going to buy you a bracelet as a talisman and reminder of your strength or your courage or your beauty or your protection or, you know, whatever it is that you're yeah. trying to say. Like marking um, that moment. Yes, yes exactly. Yeah. Marking that. So um, it's so perfect yeah. for you, Elizabeth, like just the celebrations and then having the products to go with it and the tangible fact that it's a book like you could hold in your hands, not like mine is a Kindle version, but I can imagine like someone actually receiving it. They get the stories, the richness from the stories, plus the little talisman to remind them of their yeah. strength and all of that. Oh, gosh, Elizabeth, yeah. this has been so beautiful. I'm like, we're already like at the hour mark. I know. Like, it's just I, know. <laughs> I feel like we could talk for another hour. <laughs> I know. Um, thank you just for sharing that window into how you see like the sacredness of yeah. ritual and celebrations and transitions and being able to mark it. So it, it, it just serves. I feel like you're able to digest the event extract all the gems from whatever life transition it is. And the fact that you said it's not just for the big things, but even the the smaller events, like your child going from one grade to another, like I'm thinking with my boys, you know, 11, eight and five, like they'll be finishing off school. And, and my youngest, it's his first year of school. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you can read a whole book now all by yeah. yourself. You didn't know how to read. At the start yeah. of the year, like, how incredible is that? Like, we can celebrate that. Um, and all of, yeah, maybe creating, like, I would say for other moms who are listening in Australia, at least when, our, you know, our year ends and then we go into summer, the summer holidays, it's like, oh, what, what are our rituals and celebrations for the successful end of a school year and the beginning of summer? We're like, they're home with us. Now, yes. pretty much for like six weeks or so. Like, and how we can help with that? Yeah. Yes, exactly. I don't know if you covered that in your book. I'll have to go looking for a chapter. Um, I didn't talk so much about the end of the school year, although I probably should have. But I did talk about the beginning of the school year. You, okay, sort cool, of the, cool. I will look the rituals for that. of you know sending kids off. So yeah, you'll you'll have to read about yes. that when you get to that. I can't wait. Like I'm, I bookmarked different ones. It's like I I. I didn't go straight from the beginning with your book. I feel like the person can just go and taste whatever chapter is most up for them in their lives, which is why I like the way it's been organized as well. But there's just so much beauty that you emanate, Elizabeth, just as a human and 
you just have so much to share. Like, I just feel like everyone needs to have someone like you. It's like, you're like, I don't know. It's, it's like this wise soul. Plus there's this young side of you with the joy and the celebrations. And it's like, you bring both. It's like duality, you know? And I love, I love that about you. So thank you for sharing your time with us. And I can't wait listeners. If you're um, going to the show notes, you have to go get Elizabeth's book whether it's in Kindle form or the the paper copy. Um, But is there anything else you'd like to share with us, Elizabeth, on closing before we complete this interview? Uh, Gosh, I mean, there's so much to say, but, you know, I I think the biggest thing is just be open to the magic and the meaning. I mean, it's everywhere. Mm. And if we can slow down, get rid of all the chaos and the noise of, you know, the news and the to-do lists and, you know, the work responsibilities and just get really present with the people that we love mm. and spend time with them and with ourselves. And, and it, it's not even that it has to be quantity. It's mm. about the quality of the time that we spend together. You know, yeah. a 30-minute meal at the dinner table where everyone is engaged and talking and having meaningful conversation and talking about, you know, what happened today and what are you most grateful for that happened and what is something that showed up that you know made your heart you know sing and, and get, get people to engage in those deeper conversations that means more than you know three hours of you know watching movies or you know yeah. doing something mindless yeah um, so just about approaching life with with meaning and intention and presence presence that's what about. I mean, when we get to the end of our lives, we're not going to be saying, oh, I wish I'd worked more or I wish I'd made more money. We're going to be saying, oh my gosh, I'm so grateful for these people who love me and these people that I love. Like that's what it's all about. That's what we're here for. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing with us. Thank you for whatever you went through in terms of your time sacrifice and you know, I'm sure there was probably tears as well. Like if writing a book is no, it's not Hot. an easy walk in the park. <laughs> it really, yeah. you know, calls on you as a whole, put your whole being into it. So thank you for doing that for us so we could learn from you and from the collective because we've got all the shared stories in there as well to enjoy and, and then put our own spin on what we want to take and uh, from cultural perspective or the people that we love. And yeah, create our own ritual. And, and you've gifted me that presence now to go, okay, if I don't like the way a particular celebration has been going, maybe we can like rethink it and ask yes. the people we love, hey, how do you think we should do this moving forward? Because this way hasn't been working. Um, and there's some things we'd like to change or something, you know, it's up for I, discussion. I, I love that. Yes. And that was a big part of the book is, you know, as you started off earlier, when we were talking, you said, you know, well, we always did it this way. And that's sort of how you yeah. were taught. But we get to say, well, okay, we've always done it this way. What if we keep, you know, 60% of the way mm-hmm. we've done it, and then 40%, we're gonna change it up a little bit, we're yeah. gonna make it sparkly, and we're gonna make it different and okay. uh, make it more fun or playful, you know, whatever, whatever. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Elizabeth. And thank you, everybody, for listening to the Your Truth is Calling podcast. Um, until next time, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Thank you.